This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks again for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment, and this is episode number 17, and I'm calling this episode A New Path. If you are joining me for the first time, The Faith Experiment is about putting faith into practice. And so far on the show, I've been sharing with you my own personal journey of faith and how I went from a non-believer to a faith experimenter. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, you can get the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for The Faith Experiment. You can also find The Faith Experiment on all good podcasting platforms, making it easy for you to keep up to date with what's happening on the show. Once again, I love hearing from you, and I would love to hear from you today. Where are you tuning into The Faith Experiment from? I'd love to hear. Let me know by texting me on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au and let me know where you're tuning in from. Now, on this episode, I have another great giveaway. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text the code word to 04888-45311. So save that number in your phone now, 04888-45311, and wait for the code word. Now, on the last episode, A New Life, I shared with you how after being baptized at my first church camp meeting, I left that camp and made my way back to my home in Brisbane. And as I was driving, I went to put one of my CDs on when I sensed that the song and the music on that CD were somehow now at odds with this new life that I had chosen. There was something about it that was no longer in harmony with who I was now following and who I was wanting to live for. And one by one, I permanently removed CDs out of my CD collection. It was like I was being guided by some unseen force, showing me what was right and what was wrong and how to discern between them. And I shared how once I got home, this kind of cleansing or purging continued. As I went from room to room throughout my house, various things which once seemed perfectly fine and acceptable were now so clearly at odds to this new life that I was choosing to live. It was so clear what was right and what was wrong. Now, you know, I know this sounds crazy, especially to a generation where there doesn't seem to be absolute truth anymore, absolute right and wrong, where truth for you is truth for you and it's not necessarily truth for me. That's the kind of world that we're living in now. But I have found that with God, with the Holy Spirit in my life and these ancient manuscripts as my guide, there is a clear truth and there is a clear error. And if we let him, he will guide us into all truth. I find that most times we don't want to accept the truth because it sort of goes against our feelings. But like I've always said in the problem-solving world, Facts don't care about your feelings. Truth will always be truth, no matter how you feel about it. Now, I told you this is a faith experiment. And for me, as I started to seriously experiment with my faith, I started to see very real and tangible results. Now, it's probably worth stating here for the record. As I have been journeying around the world for a number of years now in this faith experiment, I've had the chance to talk to tens of thousands of people and to hear from them about how their faith experiment has gone. And what I've discovered is is that God has a way of customizing our faith experiment for each one of us to suit our very specific situations and stages. What do I mean by that? Well, 
I've found that many people have the almost identical experience with faith as I've had. And it also seems that many of their situations were similar to mine at the time as well. While on the other hand, I've met people whose experiment with faith has been completely different, even opposite. Whereas for me, things happen rather quickly and very dramatically. Others have had a very slow moving sequence and the changes in their life were more gradual. But you know what? Even though the process of the faith experiment might be different for each one of us, the results are always the same. No matter what your faith experiment looks like and how fast or how slow things take place, you will always notice that there is a building of evidence of God in your life and there is always a very visible change to your life. But for me, after taking the decision to be baptized, a step that marked my turning away from my old life and embracing this new life and joining the family of God, something clearly changed. And I began to have a very clear sense that there was some sort of unseen internal guide leading me, showing me what was right and showing me what was wrong and helping me judge between the two or discern between the two, who I now understand to be the Holy Spirit. Now, I shared with you how as I started living my new life with God and I started to connect with various churches around Brisbane, as people would hear about what I had gone through and what I was going through with this faith experiment, I was being invited to church after church to speak and to share my story. And then completely out of nowhere, I was asked to travel to Malaysia to share with the people of Borneo about who God is and what he wants us to know. It was an absolutely incredible experience. I spent two weeks living in a tree house about 20 meters up in a tree in the middle of the jungle. Each night I would walk along these jungle tracks down from our mountain across a tiny log river crossing and then make our way up the other side of the mountain into a small village. And in that small village there was a building where each night I would open up my Bible and simply share what God had shown me on my journey so far. I shared the evidence for God. I shared what his purpose is for us. I shared how he has prepared a way to save us from sin and to transform our characters. And I shared how he is coming again. Now, I was no public speaker. In fact, I hated speaking in public so much that when I was in school, I would miraculously have some kind of sickness every single day that there was an English oral presentation to be made. I mean, you know the expression of having stage fright forget stage fright I had fright of talking to more than three people at once fright and so for me to get up each night in front of about 50 to 70 people and to talk to them about God was a major 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 milestone for me you see leading up to the moment of standing up I was terrified. I, I felt like throwing up or, or fainting. I would have butterflies in my gut. I'd have knees made of jelly. I was a mess. And yet, I would have that internal guide, that, that thought, which would say things to me like, these are people who need salvation. Don't be afraid. Stand and I'll speak. And although I, I didn't feel like anything would or could change, I found that each time, if I would just stand up, once the time was given to me, if I would turn around and face the people, I instantly had a calm, a, a peace to send upon me. And it was like 
I didn't see faces to fear anymore, but instead I'd see faces who needed help, faces who needed to find the same source of help that I had found. Once I got back from Malaysia, just a week later, I was asked to visit New Zealand to speak at a youth camp. When I got to New Zealand, I was terrified when I saw all the posters all around the campground. They said, come in here, international speaker, Robbie Bergen, and learn how we know God exists. Me, an international speaker? My heart started racing. My knees turned to jelly again. My my palms got sweaty. I started thinking, man, what am I doing here? I'm just a software engineer. I'm not an international speaker. Speaking to a bunch of Malays in the jungle of Borneo is one thing. But speaking to a bunch of urban Kiwi youth is something completely different. But then again came that internal guide that gave me the thought. Just stand up when you're asked to and I'll give you the words to say. And that's what I did. On the opening night of the camp, the organizers arranged for all the youth attending the camp to be assigned into one of three groups. Each group was then given to each one of us speakers. I was told to go to the back corner of the hall and I would have a chance to meet and interact with my group. These guys and girls were going to be in my group for the next week and we'd be doing all our group activities together, our camp chores together. And as I was sitting there in a circle, each person was asked to share a bit about themselves, where they were from and why they came to camp and, you know, all that common kind of ice-breaking sort of stuff. And just as we were about to finish, a guy and a girl enter the hall late. They'd just arrived from Auckland. And the organizer sent the guy to the first group and then sent the girl to my group. As the last person in our circle had just finished answering the question, all the attention was now turned to our new arrival. As she sat down, one of the organizers explained to her what we were doing and asked her to share. Hi, my name's Rebecca and I'm from Auckland. I didn't know it then. I couldn't even imagine it then. But in four years and three days from that night, I would see this girl, Rebecca walking down a church aisle in the most beautiful wedding dress, making her way to me, on her way to join her life with mine as husband and wife. But that's a whole other story, and it took four years and three days for that story to unfold, and that's a story for another time. Well, once I got back to Brisbane from New Zealand, as I shared on the last episode, the same guy, male, who had asked me to go to both Malaysia and New Zealand, he called me and asked me to travel to Melbourne to help him record some leadership meetings. And it was there that I met a number of guys around my age, also coming from an IT background, and also had similar stories to mine recently coming to faith. And as they shared with me, they were about to head off to the United States to study at seminary, a Bible college. One of the guys, Ben, makes the crazy suggestion that I should join them. I tell him I can't. I'm a computer programmer. I have a 30-year mortgage on my house. I just can't get up and go and move to the States and study the Bible. After all, I've already uh, done the uni thing. It'd be crazy to go back to uni again. And what do I do after that? No, it's just a dumb idea, I told Ben. But, you know, at the exact same time, there was a start of a little desire or excitement in my mind at the possibility of leaving everything behind and starting again. Nah, but that's crazy, and I don't do crazy. I do calculated strategic moves, so I brush the idea aside. But at the persistence of Ben and the rest of the group, they say, come on, what do you got to lose? Just apply online. Come on. 
So the next thing I know, I'm sitting in front of that computer, I'm filling out an application for Bible Seminary in the United States. And as I shared on the last episode, after going through the various questions, the last question on the page was, please describe how you intend to fund your tuition for the duration of your stay in the United States. And so I typed in the field. I have no way to pay for this course. I have no way to go to America. I'm just going to submit this application and see what God does next. And with that, I clicked Submit. And then Ben and the other guys said, let's pray. And so they prayed that God would have his hand over this application and open the way if it was his will or close the door if it was not his will. And that was it. And so we finished the leadership weekend and we said our goodbyes. And as I was leaving, Ben said, see you, Rob. I'll see you in the U.S. To which I replied, yeah, okay. See you in the U.S. Well, it's time to take a short break now. But when we come back, I'll continue with my faith experiment story. And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word for today's giveaway. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 4 That's 4 or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au Oh, I'm a traveler Far from home I get lost But I'll press on Cause there's a mansion And streets of gold where we belong and Yes, there's a day Coming soon Where the earth Will be made new And heaven's glory Shines like the morning for our eyes When we all See Jesus When we all See Jesus No more sickness No more madness no more pain When we all See Jesus Face to face And then we will sing With angel voices there will be a great rejoicing Holy, holy, worthy, worthy is the land oh, When we all see Jesus 
Listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 17 of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode A New Path. And coming up on today's show is the code word. Now, before the break, I was sharing with you how my faith experiment had taken me to foreign lands and placed me before hundreds of people, speaking to them about the things contained in these ancient manuscripts which reveal God. And before the break, I was sharing with you how I had been in Melbourne helping record a leaders conference for a guy who had become somewhat of a spiritual mentor to me. And I was convinced by a group of young guys there to apply to Bible seminary in the United States which I did kind of just to shut them up, to be honest. And then after I submitted the application, they decided to pray for me that God's will would be done. Well, for the next 20 hours or so, I was on the road driving back to Brisbane, and I got home in the early hours of Monday morning. I jumped into bed about 4 a.m. to get a little bit of sleep before I had to head into the office the next morning. The alarm goes off, and I'm feeling absolutely dead tired, and I get dressed, I grab my things, and I decide today to catch the train because that will give me an extra 40 minutes or so of sleep time. So I park at the train station, I get on the train and I catch some more sleep. Once I get to the station in the city, I take the lift up to the 8th floor and once again make my way through the maze of office halls and cubicles. I get to my desk, I sit down, turn the workstation on and it's right then that the general manager of the information services department came to our floor and announces we're having a general staff meeting in five minutes. Now, in all the time I had worked for this company, we had never had a general staff meeting. So we were looking at each other and asking, man, what's this about? And so we all slowly got up and made our way to the boardroom. And as we're walking, everyone's whispering and speculating about what this was all about. As we make our way into the boardroom, some of us are sitting around the massive oval table, which, by the way, had amazing river views across the city. And others were standing around the perimeter of the room, leaning against the wall. Now, one thing was all in common. Everyone was wondering, what's this all about? As the general manager walks in, everyone goes quiet. As he walks past, I notice he's not making eye contact with anyone. He's just looking at the floor. And as he makes his way to the chair at the head of the table, he's accompanied by his personal assistant, Lisa, who is also not making eye contact with anyone. And I remember thinking to myself, man, something's not right. This doesn't look good. We're all sitting there waiting for him to speak. He opens his mouth. Thanks, everyone, for coming in at such short notice. Look, um, this is not easy to say or to do, so let me just do it. If you're in this room right now, it's because as of 9 a.m. this morning, you have all been retrenched. Now, I know you have lots of questions, and I will seek to answer them all, but I want you to know that this is very difficult for me, as it is, I'm sure, for you. And and just like that, my job, along with everyone else's in that room, was gone. 
As Lisa, the personal assistant, she started hurrying and shuffling through boxes of envelopes that were personally addressed to each one of us in the room. Everyone started whispering and looking at each other, looking this way and looking that way. Well, it didn't take long and we all had a letter in our hands that essentially said something to the effect of, Thank you for your service. We are regretful that given the current economic environment, your position has been made redundant. All your entitlements have been paid into your nominated bank accounts, etc., etc. Now, as I was reading this, I started to hear someone hyperventilating. I look over and it's Chris. He looks mad. His face has gone red. You see, it's two weeks before Christmas and Chris has got four kids. He's got a mortgage, he's got a car loan and he's got a wife who's a stay-at-home mum. And this was going to be very bad for him. I looked across the room. There was Rachel, mum of two. She was the breadwinner. This is going to be a tough Christmas for her too. And I went mentally around the table and the stories were all the same. Losing your job is bad, but especially bad before the end of the year. As I was looking around and thinking about everyone's situation, I realized I hadn't even thought about mine. It was then that I leaned back a little in these really nice boardroom chairs. They're just so comfortable. It was really nice leather too. Okay, snap out of it. This is serious. What does this mean for me? I've got a mortgage too. It's the end of the year for me too. You don't find work at this time of year. Come on, Robbie. You should be getting stressed. You should be getting worried. But I couldn't. In fact, I actually felt pretty good. And then I remembered, just over 24 hours before, I had written on that college application for a seminary in the United States. I'd written, I have no way to pay for this course. I have no way to come to America. I'm just going to submit this application and see what God does next. And then I thought to myself, is this it? Is this what God is going to do next? Just then the general manager says, does anyone have questions? Chris immediately says, yes, I do. What? What? Why is this happening? The manager says, thanks, Chris. That's a good question. Simple answer. 9-1-1. This is all the result of what took place on 9-1-1. What do you mean? Chris asked. What do you mean, 9-1-1? Our now ex-manager responds, well, because of 9-1-1 and the collapse of ANSET, one of our biggest clients, we've not been able to manage our bottom line. And unfortunately, when the board looks at the balance sheets, the information technology services are seen as an overhead. And so it's a simple cost-cutting exercise. I'm sorry, but because of the domino effect since 911, this is the result. As I listened to his explanation, I actually smiled to myself. How ironic. This whole journey my whole faith experiment had begun in the shadows of 911 and here it was that those events had now as a result of a series of dominoes falling had taken my job and all the while ringing in my mind was that sentence that I typed I have no way to pay for this course I have no way to come to America I'm just going to submit this application and see what God does next was this it was this what God was doing next well, it's time to take a short break now. Don't forget to stick around for today's code word. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. 
The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate. Letting go of every single dream I lay each one down at your Every moment of my wandering Never changes what you see I've tried to win this war, I confess My hands are weary, I need your rest Mighty warrior, king of the fight no matter what I face, you're by my side When you don't move the mountains, I need you to move When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through When you don't give the answers, as I cry out to you I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you You have not seen So in all things Be my life and bread I want what you want Lord and nothing less When you don't move the mountains I'm needing you to move When you don't part the waters I wish I could walk through When you don't give the answers As I cry Trust, I will trust in you. Listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode 17 of the Faith Experiment, which I'm calling a new path. And coming up is today's code word, so be sure to stick around. Now, before the break, I shared with you how, because of the events of 911 and the effects of the collapse of Ansett Australia, I had lost my job. 
I've been working for one of Australia's largest companies in their IT services as a software engineer, and now I was retrenched. And as I was sitting in that boardroom receiving this news, the thought that came to mind was that it was a little over 24 hours before that I had applied for a seminary in the United States, and on that application I had written, I have no way to pay for this course, I have no way to come to America, I'm just going to submit this application and see what God does next. Was this what God was going to do next? As people started to get up to make their way to the boardroom door, our manager, or our now ex-manager, says, uh, um, uh, Just a minute, everybody. Uh, this redundancy is effective immediately. Uh, each of you will be escorted by one of our security officers back to your desk, where you'll be asked to remove your personal effects and to hand over any account passwords, um, after which you'll be escorted to the lobby, where you'll be required to hand over your security access cards. I know, I know it seems a bit dramatic, but because of the level of access you all have to our information systems, the board has asked that we take these precautions. I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, uh, I have to do this, and I wish you all the best. And, and with that, I was escorted back to my desk. I was watched as I removed my personal files and my things from the drawers and and pictures from my desk. I was then taken to the lifts and walked to the front lobby where I was asked for my security access card and walking out the lobby doors carrying an old office filing cardboard box full of all my personal belongings. That was it. That was the last time I ever entered that building. That was the last time I ever saw any of my workmates. As I got on the train and took my seat, I sat there with a sense of numbness, of disbelief. Did this really just happen? I'd never lost a job before. In fact, this was the first time I'd ever not had a job since I finished high school. And as I sat there on the train, as its carriages rattled along the tracks, passing the various stations along the southern line to the Gold Coast, I smiled to myself. Really? Is this really because of that application? What am I going to do about my, my house? I had enough money in the bank to cover the next month's repayment. And then that was it. I'd used all of my savings traveling to New Zealand and then to Malaysia. I'd either have to find a job over Christmas and New Year's or try and sell the house over Christmas and New Year's. And as I started trying to problem-solve my situation, all the while while being gently rocked by the almost rhythmic motion of the train carriages, I get this feeling I need to call my dad and tell him what's happened. Now, by this time my parents had been doing missionary work for about a year and a half all around the South Pacific, but at this particular moment they were living down in Melbourne. Now, calling my dad to talk about these kinds of things was not in my nature. I didn't like talking about problems. I liked to solve problems and then tell dad what had happened and how I solved it. But this time something was different. I felt the need to call him. And so I took out my mobile phone and I called my dad. Hi, dad. It's Robbie. Hey, Rob. Dad says, hey, guess what? Dad says, you lost your job. I was shocked. What? How did you know? Dad says, what do you mean? You lost your job? I said, yeah. 
I was just retrenched. And I said, no, I, I didn't know. I was just kidding. So you've lost your job. What are you going to do now? Dad asked. I don't know. And then I told him about the application to the United States and what I'd written. And I said, I don't know if this is all somehow connected or not. Dad replied, of course it's connected. You can't invite God to do something and not not expect him to do something. He's doing something. That's the whole point. That's a good point, I said. By the time I got off the phone, I'd arrived at my station. And as I left the platform and made my way back to the car, I thought that the most logical thing to do now is to put my house on the market and see if it sells. Because I can't find a job right now because Christmas is coming up and nobody hires during this time, at least nobody hires a software engineer at Christmas. So I can't really pursue that option until after New Year's. So I might as well put the house on the market and see what happens between now and New Year's. And so as I drive home, I passed a real estate and I pulled in and I just walked in off the street and I asked the guy at the front desk, hey, how you doing, mate? I want to talk to someone about putting my house on the market. I want to see if I can sell it before next month's repayment's due. And he looked at me, and then he literally started laughing at me. And so I said, what's so funny, mate? And he said, houses don't sell at this time of year. There's no way it's going to sell in four weeks. Come back in the new year and we'll put it on the market. And I said, no, I want to put it on the market today and see what happens. He said, there's no point. It won't sell. Trust me. And I just said, come on, just put it on the market. If it sells, great. If it's not, then no one's lost anything, right? And after a much persuasive conversation, he says to me, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll put it on the market, but it won't sell. And with a signature here, an initial there, that was it. My house was now on the market. And so I shook the hand of the agent and got in my car and made my way home. As I walked inside, I hung up the keys on the key rack and made my way to the fridge to get a cold drink. My phone rings. It's an unknown number. I answer. Hello? Robbie speaking. Hi. You don't know me, but I'm calling you from a church in Perth, Western Australia. Someone I know who heard you speak about your journey with God said that you'd be a great choice to be a youth speaker for our end-of-year canoeing and camping trip. I'm just wondering, would you be available? It starts on Thursday. I was shocked. I thought to myself, whoa, well... Well, this would give me something to do over the end of the year. And so I said, uh, yeah, actually, it just so happens I'm free. Um, how do I get there? And the voice on the phone said, do you have a pen? I'll give you my credit card number. And um, if you can book yourself a flight, then let me know your arrival time and I'll pick you up from the airport. And so with that, this voice gives me credit card details And as soon as she hangs up, I fire up the computer, connect to the internet, and book a flight with Virgin Blue bound for Perth. And the next thing I know is I'm turning my phone off, placing my tray table in its upright position as the Boeing 737 hurdles down the runway at the Brisbane Domestic Airport. And as the wheels lift the ground, I sit there thinking, is this really happening? I was in Melbourne less than two days ago. I was in the office this morning. And in a single day, I lost my job, put my house on the market, and now I'm sitting on an all-night flight to Perth. Well, it's time to take a short break now. But when we come back, I'll continue with this strange new path. 
And don't forget to stick around to get today's code word. I'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au.
nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Roy Bergen, and this is episode 17 of The Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode A New Path. And coming up is today's code word, so stick around. Before the break, I was sharing with you how in the space of two days I had been in Melbourne, back to Brisbane, lost my job, put my house on the market, and was now sitting on a flight bound for Perth, where I was going to be a camp speaker on a canoeing and camping trip with a bunch of young people who I had never met in a place I had never been. How crazy had things become? What on earth was I doing? I felt like I was no longer in control of my well-ordered and well-planned life. It was like I was now literally in the passenger seat, and I had no idea what was coming next. But, if I'm honest, I liked it. I liked that there was a freedom, a peace that I had never had before. Now, as I touched down in Perth, I made my way to the baggage claim, and there was a man holding a cardboard sign with Robbie scribbled in black marker. And so I walked over and said, Hi, I'm Robbie. And he said, So you're the one who's going to help our kids know Jesus. I was taken back a bit. Who were they expecting? What were they expecting? And so I sheepishly reply, Yeah, I I guess that's me. The next morning, we pack up a bunch of four-wheel drives and head to the river where we unload everything from the cars and transfer it to the canoes. We're given some safety instructions as there's no phone reception where we're going. And so we head out on the water and for the next two weeks we row, we swim, we camp, we eat, we row, we swim, we camp, we eat. And everyone looked to me to share around the campfire in the morning for breakfast and in the evening for dinner about God and what I had learned about Him and what He was doing in my life. It was one of the most amazing experiences I'd ever had. And it was amazing to be able to connect with these young people and to hear their stories and to be told of the hurt and the pain that so many of these young teens had and were already experiencing in this life. I started to see that everyone, and I mean everyone, is affected by sin and selfishness. And we're all in need of healing that can only come from God. At the end of the camp, we said our goodbyes and we started the long drive back to the airport, back to Perth. And as we got closer to civilization, my phone picks up reception and starts to ring. Hello, this is Robbie. Oh, oh, hi there, Robbie, says the voice on the phone. I'm calling you from the United States of America. I have your application in front of me here for seminary. My heart skips a beat. I had almost forgotten about the application. That was almost two and a half weeks ago. And I said, Oh, 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 hi, how, how are you going? Going? He asked. What, what do you mean? I said, Um, uh, how are you doing? Oh, doing? He asked. Is that some kind of Australian? I was like, 
Yeah, I, I guess so. It means, are you well? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm well, thank you. Look, Robbie, the reason I'm calling you today is that I just wanted to let you know that our Academic Affairs Committee has just finished meeting and uh, they have voted to approve your application to seminary. I was shocked. I didn't even know what to say. And so I said, oh, wow, wow, that's great. And I started thinking, but I can't go to America. I can't afford to study. I just lost my job. Before I could say anything, the voice says, Oh, and Robbie, in, a, in addition to that, the committee has also voted to grant you a full academic scholarship for your complete duration for your time here. I said, Whoa, uh, what does that mean exactly? He replies, well, well, that means that we'll cover your tuition fees, your textbook fees, your accommodation, and meals. So, so basically, we'll cover everything except your personal needs, like toiletries and travel expenses. I was absolutely shocked. Ringing in my mind was what I wrote in the application. I have no way to pay for this course. I have no way to come to America. I'm just going to submit this application to see what God does next. And as I was thinking, the voice continues. So, uh, Robbie, what this means is there are three things that I need you to do. Uh, one, I need you to pay for the first quarter's tuition. Uh, second, we need you to get a student visa from the American Embassy there or down under in, in Australia. And uh, thirdly, we need you to purchase your ticket to the United States. Uh, if you can do those three things, then we'll do the rest and take care of the rest. Now, the first quarter's tuition is going to cost you 4000 American dollars. Not Australian dollars, American dollars. And that cost for your visa and flight will be based on your own, own country's fees. Then he said, so I'll, I'll send you the paperwork and we'll be in touch. And I said... Yeah, okay, sure. Whoa, thanks so much. Can't believe it. And then he said, Well, you, you better just thank God because he's the one that makes these sorts of things happen, you know. Well, God bless you, Robbie, and we'll be in touch with you soon. I got off that phone amazed, in shock even. It was definitely seeming like God was now totally, totally and completely taking control of my life. He'd removed my job, he'd brought me here to Western Australia, and now, as I'm making my way to the Perth Domestic Airport, he has granted me a full scholarship to study in the United States. I mean, I could hardly, hardly believe it. I checked in, I made my way through security, I head to the gate and started boarding. As I take my seat, we're told to ensure our seatbelts are on, our tray tables are in their upright position, the mobile phones are turned off. And after being lined up on the runway, and once again those massive turbines are brought up to full thrust and the wheels once again leave the ground, and I am just sitting there in my seat thinking, how or what is God going to do next? I try to get some sleep now because this is going to be an all-night flight back to Brisbane. In the morning, I awake to the captain's announcement to prepare for landing into Brisbane. As we touch down and taxi to the gate, we're told we can turn our phones back on. Still half asleep, I turn my phone on. And I notice I've got some missed calls, and I start scrolling through the list to see who it was that called me, when the phone gives me a fright and starts ringing right there in my hand. So I answer. Hello, this is Robbie. Hi, Robbie. I've been trying to call you all morning. It's your agent. 
I've sold your house. Really? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe it. I didn't think it was going to be possible, but I've sold your house. I need you to come in right now and to sign the contracts as soon as you can. I said, look, I'm just landing at the airport. I'll be there in about an hour. So I go straight to the real estate. I look at the papers. And after it was all said and done and everyone was paid out, I was going to be left with just $7,000, which wasn't much. But considering I had the house for a short time, I thought that's not too bad, I guess. And so I signed the contract and I headed home to start packing because I had to be out of the house in 14 days. When I got home, I jumped on the internet and I did a conversion lookup for how much 4000 US dollars was worth in Australian dollars. And guess what? The amount I had left over from the sale of the house was the amount I needed in American dollars and I literally just smiled. I was starting to sense a real pattern here. God just kept coming through. I decided to give some things away. I sold a few things, threw a few things away, and I packed a few things. Now, with settlement of the house being so short, this created a new problem for me. I only had a few days before I was going to be homeless. And yet, I had a few weeks before I could leave for the United States, and I still needed to get a visa, and I had to figure out how I was going to buy an airfare. So I thought... I'll first apply for the American student visa. So I went online, found the application, filled it out. I had to answer what seemed like hundreds of questions, which was easy enough. But I came to a question which said, please provide bank statements that show you have enough money in savings to support yourself for full duration of your stay in the U.S. And that's when I thought to myself, man, that's impossible. I don't have any way of doing that. If I attach a copy of my bank balance, they're just going to laugh. And so I said to God, God, I'm just going to leave this question blank, okay? I don't have anything to put here. And so with that, I just printed out the application, took it to the post office, got a visa photo taken, then express posted off to the embassy. Well, a few days go by and I get a call from the American embassy. Hi, Mr. Bergen. I'm calling from the American embassy here in Australia, and I just wanted to let you know that I've received your application for a student visa. But we have a problem with it. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know. But I say, oh, really? And the voice on the phone says, yes, the visa photos you have are using the metric size. We need the American size. So can you go and take the photos again and express post them to us as soon as possible? And I say, oh, okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. I think to myself, and they haven't gotten to the page yet about the finances. So I go back to the post office, I get a new set of photos taken, I send them off. Two days later, I get a package back from the embassy, and inside the package is my passport with a brand new student visa for the United States. No questions asked. I could not believe what was happening. This was absolutely incredible. Over and over again, God was just doing amazing things in my life. That evening, when I opened up my computer and checked my email, I got an email from somebody in New Zealand. The email read, Hi Robbie, you don't know me, but someone has passed on your contacts and have told me that you're the person I'm looking for. Are you able to fly to New Zealand next week and help us with recording a music CD? I'll cover all of your expenses. We just really need your help. Thanks. Was I reading that right? Someone I didn't know is offering to pay all my expenses to go to New Zealand to help with the recording of a CD exactly at the time that I need to be out of my house? Yep, that was exactly what it said. And so, just like that, my house sold, 
I was able to transfer the exact amount I needed for the first quarter's tuition, and I was now boarding a plane bound for New Zealand to meet someone I had never met before to help them record a musical CD. And so, after two weeks of helping out a Christian musical group record a CD, I was boarding a plane back to Australia, this time heading to Melbourne to spend a few days with my parents before I was to leave for the United States. As I board the plane, the man who invited me to New Zealand thanked me for giving up my time and coming over to help them out. And even though he had covered every expense while I was there, he wanted to give me a parting gift. And so he gave me an envelope filled with New Zealand dollars. When I arrived in Melbourne, I went straight to the exchange booth and had the dollars exchanged into Australian dollars. And when I stopped at the flight center store, I asked him, what's the price for a one-way ticket to America? And you're not going to believe it. But it was the amount that I had just exchanged and was holding in my hand. And just like that, in a space of a few weeks, my entire life was turned upside down. Or was it being turned the right way up? I had gone from being a computer programmer, from having a house, a mortgage, a career, to almost literally having no job, no house, no mortgage, no career. And I was going back to college, back to become a mature aged student in a foreign country. I didn't know what the future had installed, but I was comfortable knowing that God held my future in His hand. After graduating from seminary, I got married to that beautiful and amazing girl that I had met at that youth camp back in New Zealand. And since being married, we've had the opportunity to serve God's church in the United States, in New Zealand, in Taiwan, across Asia and Africa, and of course right here in Australia. We've been blessed with a son, and in just a few weeks from now, we're expecting a daughter. God has been so kind and so merciful to me. You know, it was almost 20 years ago today that this story of my faith experiment started, right there in the shadows of September 11, 2001. And I have to say that although after all this time I've seen a lot, I've learned a lot, I still feel in many respects like a novice in the knowledge and understanding of my Heavenly Father, in grasping the infinite cost of the sacrifice of Jesus and of taking full advantage of the power that the Holy Spirit is willing to provide. Now, I don't know where you are right now and what you're facing in your faith experiment. Maybe you have many years of experience under your belt and you know who you believe and you're confident in your walk, and that's great. But maybe, maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're new to all of this and you've got questions. You don't know where to start and you want to talk to someone to help you right now. I want you to know that I want to help you. I want to help you take the next step. Maybe you want more information. Maybe you have questions. Or maybe you want to just discuss with someone. Maybe you want to make a decision to follow Jesus in baptism. Wherever you are, I want you to connect with me so I can help you take that next step in your faith experiment. If you'd like to get in touch with me, text the word STEP. S-T-E-P. Text the word STEP to 04888 That's the word STEP, S-T-E-P, to 04888 Or you can email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au.
Next time on The Faith Experiment, I'm going to explore a topic that is probably the most common question I get asked. If you want to know what that question is, you'll have to tune in next week at the same time right here on Faith FM. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I have a great giveaway for you today. I have a book here which is called Discover Jesus. It's technically called a Bible portion. And unlike the Bible, which has 66 books in it, this book only has three. It has the story of Jesus in the form of the Gospel of Mark. It has the teachings of Jesus in the form of the Gospel of John. And it's followed by what his followers have done in the form of the book of Acts. Now, this is a great book. It's easy to read. And it's a great way to get an overview of the life teachings and influence of Jesus. To get today's free book, you'll need to text hashtag FE17. That's hash FE17 to 04888845311. That's 04888845311. Text hash FE17 to 04888845311. And the Faith FM bot will ask you for some details and we'll get that book out to you as soon as possible. Well, that's all for now. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453811. That's 0488 453811. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.